Good Adventures. I'm Melissa Bontek, and welcome to episode 110 of Books Cubed, the show where I chat with authors you should be reading. Today it is Thursday, and I'm going to have to glance at the calendar because I don't know what day it is, and I don't want to have to record this a second time. Oh my gracious, I'm so sorry. So it is Thursday, April 14th, and this was recorded yesterday, the 13th. And this was a fantastic interview. I was so excited to talk to this editor, Kitty Julik, and we talk about what authors need to do to prep before they get their books sent to their editor and the things that the editor is going to do. This was a lot of fun. We talk about all those great things, and of course, we talk about Vela's a little bit. So let's get right to it, and I will see you after. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining me today. I have Kitty Julik and I am so excited to be talking with her. She is an author and developmental editor. So welcome to the show. Hi guys. So tell people just quickly what a developmental editor is. So a developmental editor is going to look for not just structural things with the way you arrange a paragraph or how you, how you arrange your character's speech, but it's is there a plot hole? Are you holding too many things in your hands? Does your character have too many arms for what they're doing? Did you forget a character that, or did somebody just magically appear into a situation? So I'm looking for basically consistency and helping prevent errors that can make a reader go, wait, do they have 10 arms? And I've actually had situations where I've I've had an had an author who went from a romance to something a lot more steamy, and the way she described a scene, it was well described, except that the main character would have had to have four arms. So it's just is what happening realistic? Are your characters behaving in a realistic or reacting realistically? That kind and of know, stuff. And that is so important because as a, as an author, it is really hard to find that stuff sometimes and, and a lot of times it's still in your head and it never made it to the page yes. so if you read it yourself and don't have someone else reading it it sometimes helps to have it read out loud to you i will catch things if it's read out loud to me but so let's just dive right in so an author has finished a book yep what is the first thing they do after they write the end oh my first thing is never write the end because you never know if something else is going to happen or come to your mind or you're going to decide you want to write a sequel. Because once you write a definitive the end, there's no more story coming. Um, and that's my that's my biggest pet peeve. I always like I always go to the very end of a manuscript or the very end of a section that somebody sends me. And if I see the words the end, I like I actually have it macroed. I highlight it. I add a comment. Never write the end. I'm I like that. I like that for my cozy mysteries, it's always the end. And then two lines down, it says, wait, 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 that's not really the end. And then I do my little tag afterward. Yep. And then, you know, I wrap up the story in, in the uh, whatever you call it, the, the last little bit in like three paragraphs and then invite them to read the next one. Yep. So yeah, so I, I like that. I like that. I'll yep. stop writing the end. <laughs> um, but other than that, don't over edit yourself as a as an author or as somebody who's already made a pass through a, a a body of work we have a habit of reading a scene and putting in pieces and bits of it that we remember being there so we may have thought we edited in something or taken something out and we're going to completely read over it so you may forget that you changed your main character's name and that they're originally a woman but now they're a man named bob but you're going to see the what the woman's name susan because originally you thought your main character was going to be female but because you're so used to seeing it you're not going to remember that that character is now bob so don't over at it and always get additional eyes on it um one of the biggest things that i tell people when i work with them is after i go through I do my edits, you check the comments, you make you make the major corrections, I'll check for any other major holes. But after that, your best bet is actually to go on and have maybe a, a beta or an alpha reader go through because I've already gotten my eyes on this and I've eat, eat breathe, lived your work for three to three to eight weeks. I'm probably going to miss something that I normally would have caught if it was the first pass. And And real quickly, just for anybody who does not know, Explain what a beta reader and what an alpha reader is. Um, the way I take an alpha reader is this is somebody that's going to get your very rough first draft. They're going to basically tell you, do you have a story or not? Um, sometimes you get people that are like, oh, it's great, because normally they're your friends and they want to tell you you're doing fantastic. Your beta reader is probably somebody that's going to come along 
after you've been edited, whether it's a line editor, a copy editor, or a developmental editor, to say, hey, I really like this where this is going. This is something I think you missed that wasn't necessarily plot, but could help improve your story overall. And they're, they're more along the lines of catching your fine points of things that you might have missed. Like, hey, you might have missed the fact that this is at night and you were like, hey, the sun's out, but it's like the middle of the night. You know, things that you put in after the editing process is done and things that'll help guide your guide your work forward. And how many people should we, how many beta, how many alpha readers should some should someone get? It's honestly going to be a personal preference. I know writers who don't use them. I know writers who don't own, don't use an editor, don't have a contract with anybody and they literally, they write it, they make one pass, they make sure that it's not like horrifically grammatically incorrect, sorry, grammatically incorrect, and then they put it out there. And I do cringe a little bit because not everybody writes clean. Um, I know that I myself, I have a major developmental editor who gets everything and does catch things and is sometimes like, you know, this should not have happened. Go back to the drawing board. And he'll be like, stop. I've got somebody who'll proofread for me. And then I've got three beta readers who will come in after that process before I'll post anything. So, so even even as a developmental editor, you still use that all the same things that you recommend oh yeah. to people. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna overread. I'm gonna skip over things that I think I fixed that are that are in my head details that I've hammered out but just haven't put into words. And that's just our nature as writers. We tend to like infiltrate our own writing and we put things into it that aren't there yet. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. So you have done so that they've got the beta reader we've had the alpha reader and then it goes to the development editor now i can speak what are some of the things that you want writers to look for before they send it to their editor i mean are there is are there things in there that they can try to look for and i know you can do grammar and spelling passes but what are some of the other things that writers should make sure they look for and do um, I have a handful of pet peeves. Um, it's we we are very forgiving because structurally it's correct to say, said, says, saying, asked, asks, asking. But if you get to a situation where you've got a ninety-five thousand word manuscript that you're going through the processes of editing with somebody else or getting ready to submit to query, you don't want ten thousand of those words to be those dialogue tags. Um, it kind of I kind of get antsy like i'll have re i'll have authors who'll be like i said somebody will talk they said and i'm like so maybe it might be better to think about your individual characters find their personalities so say you've got a character who's grumpy all the time so he mumbles and he grumbles and he grunts under his breath when he's speaking so rather than saying sean said be like sean mumbled he mumbled so have those different descriptive tags for your dialogue that are going to be basically something that you can you can switch in and out of with the said and the asked based on that character's personality. So we'll automatically know around chapter nine or 10 that if somebody's mumbling in the background and your, your, your narrator doesn't necessarily notice who it is, but the reader can infer from how we've described that character that, oh, Sean's grumbling about something that our that our narrator is doing, you know, things to help bring it more alive for somebody. So rather than having the word said or asked appear a thousand times, think about, are they, did they question, were they inquiring, were they demanding? Think about the tone that you want to convey with those characters. That's like my number one big pet peeve out there right now. Um, and it's not so much as it's, it's structurally incorrect. I mean, if you can read through Strunk and White and they'll be like, Try not to overuse adverbs. Don't add ly to everything, you know, the normal stuff that you're going to learn. But when it comes down to it, it's more immersive for a reader to know what their tone of voice is. What are they doing with their body language, with their hands as they're talking? Helps just set the scene and make it a little bit more live. Yeah, and, and Strunk and White to tell everybody I, my copy is not anywhere near me. I don't know where mine is actually. It's somewhere, it's small and I lose it periodically. <laughs> I actually, I have, I have a digital copy and it's shrunk and white and it's the, it's basically just structural elements of style for writing. I am, there are things that are technically, grammatically and structurally correct that are pet peeves of mine when they're done, when they're not done well. So if you're in the middle of your characters saying a lot and they say their first sentence and they say, and it says, I'm talking, 
I said, and then I keep talking, splitting it up like that. It, it's just a pet peeve. It drives me crazy. I'm, it's structurally correct. It's grammatically correct, but you don't need to break up speech or dialogue unless somebody's acting on a character or the character's being acted upon or if somebody else is speaking maybe your narrator notices something happening in the background so blah 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 sean said while xyz happened and then sean kept talking so they're just don't unnecessarily break things up when you don't have to um, other people find doing it the other way which makes things seem more alive to be jarring and taking them out of the immersion of a book but i'm like i shouldn't say i said and then keep talking before something else happens that's just that's just me as an editor um my contracts all are like editing is subjective you know it's not necessarily going to help you get a contract it's not going to necessarily help you sell but it's going to help you improve as a writer yeah okay so then um so what, 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 what you had some more that you were going to talk about yeah. things that they need to look at yeah. um try not to have lists of i did this i did this i did this um i am working with an amazing author who we hit we had a point in a couple chapters in and there's literally two or three chapters of bulleted i did this then i did this and i did this and i did this then i did this and it just went on and on and on we don't need to see I did this without emotion, without action. And if it's just literally a bulleted list, it doesn't end up being important to the reader. Um, so try to avoid lists of actions. Uh, just because your reader is going to get pretty bored of, I made coffee, I grabbed my mug, I walked out to the car, forgot to shut the door, got in the car, turned on the car, I drove to work. At work, I helped these two people do this you know, try to avoid listing. Drives me crazy. Yeah, and I'll even tell can, tell you. And they can grab their coffee and got to work. Got to grab my coffee. Got to work. Was annoyed by the first three customers. You know that kind of thing mm -hmm. instead. And then that's going to be a lot more interesting. You're right. Is that <laughs> you can literally start that chapter with. By the time I got to work and helped the customers waiting at the front of the store, the coffee I had made that morning was tepid. Yes, you know, exactly. you can skip all of that. If it's not necessary, you don't need it. Yeah, and a lot of times you can start your book a lot later. I know for we've talked on the show before about Vela's, mm -hmm. my fantasy Amy of Earth Vela. I kept writing it and then throwing away chapters and going, I'm not close enough to the story yet. And then I'd start one chapter sooner. And I probably threw away four chapters before I got to the chapter that started the story yep like okay now i can now i can um put this one out there because it was just it was all interesting stuff but it didn't really add anything to the story and you want to jump you I, I like books that jump right into the action and then bring me right there for me anyway i know the save the cat method is just to get you writing and to tell us the important things but sometimes we'll have a chapter or two in a, in a manuscript and i'll be like it's important for us to know that your character is great at maybe first aid and that they can help somebody if they get hurt but how does these events as you've described and written them actually contribute to the story do we need to know any of this or can we just skip this all together move on to the to the, the, the next character's encounter and then be like and say well but he got hurt rather than describing the entire time that they were at the pool because it doesn't advance your plot um in the long run if you give me well-written stuff great I have, I worked with an author who literally wrote the cell by cell, fiber by fiber, nerve by nerve, muscle by muscle, bone by bone, ligament by ligament transformation of a human into an aquatic creature. And it was very well written. It was poetically done, but we don't need 300,000 words of this is how this guy slowly turned into another entity. Um, your reader doesn't need to know that. They don't need anything that can be summarized in a handful of words. And that situation I'm describing, it literally could have been described as he fell on the floor and flopped like a fish. Oh yeah. We don't need 300,000 words to get there. And then find out that we're not even there yet because there's more coming. So if in all honesty, if you're giving us stuff that helps us get to know your character, there's a difference between 
world building and advancing your plot. And you've got to marry those two together in a way where I'm not giving you so many details that I'm going to lose you before we even get to the story. Yeah, exactly. And now I know one of your pet peeves is mine also. And this is why I listen to, uh, as I finish a chapter, I listen to it and yep. listen for repeated words. I, she sat at the table, the table leg was wobbly, so she stuck a, she wadded up a napkin and put it under the chair, and then the table wasn't wobbly anymore. Yeah. And I, I, I'm kind of being facetious, but that is very similar to a paragraph I read in a trad book. Mm -hmm. And I stopped reading it at that point, and I was mad I spent, you know, 15 bucks or whatever on the book. And it was like in the third chapter, and I thought, no, that's, no, yep. that shouldn't have happened drives me crazy so we'll have my favorite is open the drawer take something out of it close the drawer and then went down the hall and then left the hall I'll be like why don't use don't use hall use corridor pick another word um and if it and if that and in all honesty that table probably wasn't important to the plot at all so we're just adding some filler in that's just going to get advance your word count the hardest thing to think about especially if you're going to try to query to be traditionally published your traditional publication as a first-time author they're looking for 60 to maybe eighty-five thousand words because it's going to cost more to print once you hit that 85 90 point i mean you may have a fantastic epic length adventure ready to go but something to remember is that the length of the harry potter novels when you get toward the end those are the kind of books that were like this is what we aspire to do we've had all of these examples of writers who start with these shortish books and then they get longer as they progress in the series but that's partially because that's their publishing house being willing to make that investment um so if you are writing your first time book and you've got 190,000 words no it's either gonna be two books or we have a lot of things to take out of it in order to make sure if if traditional publishing is the way you're gonna go that you're actually gonna be able to sell okay so we've recovered now things to look for inside the book yep. before it goes Okay, so what happens next? Let's see. So you've you've done all that stuff, and you're gonna send it. You send it to me, and what I would do as a developmental editor is I'm looking for plot holes. I'm looking for flow. Um, my favorite word in the world right now is sardoodledom, and it's actually the unrealistic response of characters in the situation an author puts them into. So if you have these horrible, horrible things happening, and then your main character, who's very reactive, is like, oh that's too bad. Oh, hum. You know, that's not going to be fitting for, for the world that you've created. So part of that process is making sure that you are putting your characters into realistic situations, and then they react realistically based on how you've developed the world they're in. Now, if you give them, give me characters that are normal earth, and all of a sudden the moon's crashing, they're their realistic expectation is going to be, oh my God, I'm going to die. And they're going to freak out. The realistic expectation is going to be like, oh, well, I guess we're all going to die now. So it's, it's looking for that kind of thing and trying to find flow, making sure that if you give us a piece of story and you talk about it, but you didn't, you didn't foreshadow it happening, or we didn't get a description of it happening, that it doesn't come out of nowhere and it's not going to break the immersion, immersion for the reader. Once I'm done, it goes back to the author and I normally send, and this is horrible because I'm going to pick up some line editing and some copy editing. So I'm going to fix some things that most developmental editors aren't going to. Um, and there's going to be hundreds and maybe even thousands of comments, depending on what you've got. A lot of them are going to be suggestions for like changes, reordering sentences to make sure that they flow better. And and you are right about reading things out loud. I actually have love the fact that on my phone now, I can make a screenshot and then my phone will read to me the text. Oh God, I love that. I love, I love that it. so much. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and I'll, I'll see writers say, where was I? I was somewhere on one of the, I don't know, one of the social media sites. And this author was talking about, oh, they needed to do some editing. And, and so, you know, sometimes they miss things when they're reading. And I commented, uh, you need to have a computer read to you and just read along as you go. And they said something like, yeah, I just don't want to have to listen to my book again. And I thought, is it just me? But I can listen to my book over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And if you can't listen to your book over and over and over and over again, maybe you haven't written a good book. Yeah, then I will 100% agree with that. Because you're not going to pick up on the fact that all of your characters shrug 
and they lift their shoulders as they shrug or they all nod. Um, and I will tell you the first book that I ever wrote that will never see the light of day and that I recently found because I have I found like a found a binder that had like four or five manuscripts printed out in it. And it's literally every paragraph somebody's nodding. I'm like, wow, I wrote about bobbleheads. <laughs> so it, it it helps to hear those things because unless you're taking out of the author situation and somebody's reading it out loud or you have that computer reading it out loud to you or even if it's speech to text being read to you you're not going to pick up on that so okay so we have the person they finish their book they do not yep. write the end they find their alpha and their beta readers they get feedback yep. they do changes they look for uh repeated words yep. they look for um well they listen and uh, anything else that you would say in that that in that final before it goes? Something to keep in mind is that a lot of editors are going to work, going to figure out what editing your book is going to cost is going to be on a sliding scale. So in a situation where I have somebody whose English is their third language, um, developmental editing for them or line editing or copy editing for them is going to be a little bit more of a process. So before I know if you're a good fit or not, I'm actually going to ask for a sample and I'm going to actually go through and I'm going to edit that sample, whether it's the first 10 pages, the first 10,000 words. I'm going to ask for a decent chunk because you need to know me as an editor and I need to know you as a writer. Now I may give you fantastic feedback that's going to help you figure out what you need to do next. You may decide, well, I'm not ready to ready for an editor after getting that initial bout of feedback. But that also gives you the opportunity to decide, do I want to work with this person? Is this the kind of tone? Because every editor is going to instill just a little bit of their of their internal monologue voice into what they're editing. Um, and it's not done intentionally. It's just It just happens when you work with an author. So you want to make sure that one, the editor's not going to be like jarring your reader out of the experience. They're going to be somebody that you're going to get along with. You're not going to be upset if they're nitpicky because that's what you're paying them for. And then I take that basically period of time it took me to go through. I know what my what my time is worth. And I figured it out. And I'm like, based on this number of words, I'm going to charge somebody based on the number of words a specific amount. So I may work with four different authors over the course of, say, four or five months. But none of them are going to pay the same thing for that, even if they're the same length. It's going to be based on the amount of work that I have to get in there and do. Um, and how many points of contact do we need? Is this something where we are so structurally out of, out of order, where we actually have to do something like a plot map to figure out what's missing, where the story needs to go to get things ordered correctly? Are we doing a, more of a story outline where we know what the plot's going to be, we know how to get there, but now I have to figure out the bits and pieces in the right order for the story. So those are other services that I offer and I've only, we've only ever seen myself getting into and having to break this stuff down before once or twice before, but I have had people come to do just those specific tasks. Um, and really it's just, if you find that you get a bad feeling as an editor with an author, as you're interacting with them, don't just do the work to get the contract. You know, it's okay to say as an editor, I don't think that we're a good fit. It's also fantastic for an author who they gave me great advice. It's just not the way my direction wants to go. If an editor goes through and they do a sample, you know, you can always tip your editor. No big deal if you don't hire him. Um, but if you decide that this isn't somebody I want to work with, don't feel bad if you're like, hey, I went through the suggestions. I've got a lot more work than I thought I would need to. I'm not going to go for an editor at this time. Or, you know, I just don't think that this tone is right for what I'm writing, I'm, can you recommend somebody who specializes in? So in a situation where I'm in a genre or reading material that I'm not really comfortable with, if I come across, I tell an author, you know, I'm not a good fit. I do my best to reach out and find other, other editors that are able to maybe be a better fit and I refer them over. So I'm not just gonna leave somebody hanging. Um, that's only ever happened once. Uh, just remember that especially if you're somebody who wants to be traditionally published, you, you know, self-publishing is great, especially if you are someone who is, let's say, outspoken against things on social media and you're heavy into politics or you're heavy anti-specific groups of in groups or individuals. Those are situations where as an editor, I'm not going to get involved. Um, 
and, I, and I'll even say, you know, I just don't think that we're going to be a good fit. Here's some other people that, you know, would, might be interested. Um, so just remember as an author, once you put it on the internet, it doesn't go away. You can take it down, but somebody's out there has it and the Wayback Machine has it too. So keep that in right. mind. That's um, right. The Wayback I've, Machine. You, you, you can type in a, a date, I think, mm -hmm. and it will show you what that website looked like at that time. Yeah. yeah. So if you, if you pull up somebody's Twitter profile and you know that they deleted these posts that were inflammatory against whatever, um, Wayback Machine will help you find it. And there's no way to get out of it. Um, I had, like I said, I had the situation where I told somebody completely, no, I, I, I'm not a good fit. And I did have a situation with somebody who came back and well, they, they did ask, why are we not a good fit? Um, and I actually went into the, the explanation of, as an editor, I don't want to work with people that are going to hurt me as a brand, just like you don't want to work with people as an author that will hurt you as a brand. And when it comes down to it, the if you're especially if you're trying to get traditionally published, a publishing house has a better PR firm than I'm ever going to be. And if they find these things you're not going to get a contract because it's not going to be good for their business. It doesn't matter what you're selling or earning potential is going to be for them. If you're a risk, they're not going to take it. Um, and, and I, and I have explained this before and it, and it wasn't well received, but that was okay. You know, it, it's, people are going to be people. We all have our opinions. We're opinionated individuals. It's one of the things that makes the world such an amazing place to live in despite the, the horrors that are existing in it. Um, but just remember that when you start querying or you're working with an author, working with other people, that anything you've ever said on the internet, it, it, it's still going to be out there. So be careful. I'm That's not saying don't have an opinion. I'm just yeah. saying be careful with that opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And do you recommend that like, um, like if someone writes, I don't know, high fantasy, that they look for an editor who mainly specializes in that genre? Um, I'm going to say yes and no at the same time. Um, yes, because as if I'm an editor and I do zombies and I do post-apocalyptic horror and that's my favorite thing, I'm going to be better at editing those things. But sometimes having something in that's a little different is good for me as an editor, but it's also good for the author because I've got other points of view that they're not expecting. Um, so it really does come down to the editor themselves. Um, I have my, my developmental editor is big into zombies and horror, which works great because I, I, I tow the horror gore line, which is fantastic. Um, so whenever somebody, if somebody sends me something that's zombies, if it's not something that I end up feeling comfortable editing, I'm like, hey, I know this guy and all he loves is zombies. Um, let me refer you to him. I've got people and I've got people that do high fantasy romance. Thank goodness I've recently come across an erotica, erotica editor. Because, oh. <laughs> um, you know, in the long run, if you're talking about things that are steamy, um, it's funny to have food references every once in a while, but I'm sorry, sex shouldn't sound like you're making a salad. <laughs> Just gonna leave it there. So I have I I have actually referred some people that are more hardcore erotica off to a different editor because it's just not not something I'm comfortable in. I do have an author that started out as romance and decided she was going to move in that direction. Luckily, we it worked great for both of us and it wasn't a situation where I ended up uncomfortable. Um, and sometimes discomfort as an editor is a good thing because you're a little bit more hypercritical. But if it's something that you're like, no, I can't read this, don't be afraid to say, hey, the things have changed. This isn't something I'm comfortable with. Um, and it's never a problem. I mean, if, if you, as long as you communicate with your author, why you're going to pass or why you're going to stop working for them, uh, as long as you are fulfilling your contractual obligations, make sure that you've got them in writing. So in my case, I ask for half down and then half at the completion of an, of a project. Um, and then in a situation where say something comes up and my author cancels before I'm done, um, I, I keep the, the deposit and I give them what I've already done. And then we will actually negotiate what the value, what, what the value is. I'm not going to like refund them everything, obviously, because I've been working. Yeah. Um, but say I only, say I only work through half of it 
Now, if I've actually gotten through half of the manuscript, I'm going to keep the deposit. I'm not going to give your money back if I'm giving you half a book worth of editing done. Um, just make sure that everything that you want is fair and outlined in a contract. Um, and don't be afraid as an author, if you're writing something controversial or you don't want your editor to discuss, don't be afraid to be like, hey, I want an NDA. Do it. Um, especially if you are writing something that's very common, like right now, um, werewolf, vampire, characters that transform romance that are very cut and dry with a similar template, you know, not as much of a big deal versus something where you've come, developed a completely whole new world and you have months and months and months of research um, to set up this world that your characters are going to be living in. Don't be afraid to be like, hey, I, I would like an NDA. Um, as, sometimes as an editor, I've come across authors whose work I feel are may not go the way they want it to, or I think are going to go further. Um, and I will even tell them, based on what you've given me, let's do an NDA. You don't want me to go on and be like, oh my God, I had this great idea, you know, and write about it myself. Um, protect yourself as an author, just like the editor is going to protect themselves. Now let's, you, you brought up research. So let's, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about research. In, in, yeah. my, in my second book, I had to, she has an interaction with the Coast Guard. So I spent like three days researching the Coast Guard. I talked to a lady who was in the Coast Guard and rescue boats. And in the end, all I said was, they threw a hook in the water and dragged her out. And that's all I said, yes. because I didn't want to do a massive info dump that would be mm -hmm. just be boring. So how do you handle talking to writers about when their research is too much? I think it's going to depend on the, the manuscript itself. Um, so I actually recently, it's funny you talk about Coast Guard because there was a, there was a, a, TikTok about a 911 call that an operator took. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that? saw that. Yes. So they, it was somebody was on the phone with their sister and she thinks that they were going to be trafficked. And the sister gave her all the information she could before she got disconnected. And she called 911. And the, luckily, the operator didn't say, You have to contact somebody else. They, they went above and beyond and did what they had to do. And they ended up being rescued. So Knowing that suddenly, I know that if I have the the ship's ID information for what will show up on the on the chart on the on the sonar charts that identify each vessel, and I know what region they're in, I know how to find them now because that was really cool. Yes. So sometimes getting those pieces of information are great. And um, the thing I did the the craziest thing I've ever done for research, I actually went and saw the um, particle accelerator at Cornell in the upstate New York. Oh, uh, friend, so come, friend of mine worked, worked at the particle accelerator for years and I was working on a book and I was like, granted, this is one of those ones that's finished and probably will never, never see the light of day without being completely torn apart and redone. But I can now tell you, what does it smell like? What's the most common piece of equipment that they purchase? Pie plates. They buy pythons by the thousands, apparently, you know? So, you know, if you, if you've got that opportunity and you want it to be, have that sense of realism. So if you're ever asked, what inspired you? Why do you think that this feels more real? You know, don't be afraid to go out and go above and beyond the research. You don't have to convey every little bit of it through your writing, but as long as you can speak to it. So if somebody asks you, or if an editor that you're working with decides, hey, um, I really don't know about this, and they go off and they do research, like I'll, I will research a topic that an author gives me just to make sure that you're not giving something to your readers that's not going to make sense. Um, and I have, I do drive <coughs> my authors crazy doing that. But, you know, if, if you're going to give me something, I want it to be real. I want you to be successful. But yeah, go explore the world we live in. If you're going to write about hiking in Yellowstone, go hike in Yellowstone. If you want to write about seeing Niagara Falls, if you can't be there, do the virtual tour, like the, the three-dimensional and explore. The thing is, is that, you know, going out there and having that experience that you can speak to it and then write to it, it's definitely different than info dumping everything that you've learned. Um, so like you said, you don't want to have to tell them every little bit, especially if, it, if it's literally just tossing a hook out and they're able to pull her out. You know, you don't have to talk about, you don't have to go as far as saying, hey, there's a helicopter involved and they had to dive up, the diver got jumped off the helicopter. And, you know, you don't have to do that if it's, if, unless it's pertinent to your story. In my cozy series, after that thing with the Coast Guard, I'm like, 
you know, I really don't. She doesn't pay attention to anything anyway. And, and oh, it all started with the first one where I had, um, uh, there, she comes upon a scene with blood and she gets blood on her. And the procedures involved with how would the police handle that when they show up. And I had a police officer, retired, who walked me through all the things that I needed, needed to be doing that needed to be in the scene. And I got it wrong every single time. <laughs> and every time I would send it to him, he'd go, nope, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Um, oh, no plastic bags. Oh, my God, he must have said that about a thousand times. He made me repeat it to him. Paper no bags. plastic bags. Yeah. Paper bags. Paper, everything's in molds. paper. Everything's in paper. Yeah. yeah. So then I said, you know what? She doesn't pay attention. I'm just going to have her close her eyes. So that I got, I got out of that. She closes her eyes. She hears some noise. I didn't have to talk about the scene at all, what the police were doing. And so this series, this series I'm doing now has a private eye. And I'm only doing two books. I'm, I'm finishing the second one because I don't want to have to know anything. I got to go back to the other girl where she knew nothing and paid no attention. It's so much <laughs> easier to deal with than, um, than having to, you know, these people that write true, true life crime have got so much respect because they really know their stuff. Nitty gritty detail. But oh. and the difference though is, is that they're also not going to be the person that says they put fixed vapor rub under their nose every time they walk into a crime scene. You know, everybody knows that. So unless there's a reason for your, for your character to be grabbing that vapor rub, we don't need to know. Everybody knows this trick now. Uh, I watched two crime television, you know, that kind of thing. But it really, you don't, if you, if you don't need it and it doesn't advance your plot, unless it's important later and there's a detail involved that you need out of that, you don't need to give it. I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there with, unless it does, unless it advances your plot. And that's so yep. important. Every single thing in your book advances your is, plot. Yep. Everything. And if you don't and it stagnates, don't be afraid to cut it. Um, or you're going to run into a situation where you wrote something that doesn't really advance the plot. It's not a side plot. It's just it's just a piece of momentary fluff that's going to bulk up your word count. And you're going to have an editor be like, this scene is great, but it doesn't do anything. And they're going to be like, cut. And yep. especially if you're going through traditional publishing, um, they will be like, okay, so we're going to go, you do go through a round with an editor and they're going to be like, eh, eh and they're going to chop it up and you'll be like what <laughs> yeah yeah and for anybody listening who reads my um four bullets and a ghost vela on vela that's why there hasn't been a new episode in three weeks because um i've rewritten it the next one about three times now and it's just fluff it does nothing to advance the plot and this fourth rewrite that i started a couple days ago i'm like oh, okay now i'm advancing the plot yep now I'm advancing the plot. Yeah. And so th that's, that's one of the reasons I love having my editor. Cause he'll even be like, kit, this don't help. It doesn't do anything. Why do we need to know this? And if I can't give him an answer as to why my readers need to know something, he'll be like, if you decide later, we needed to know this, you can, you can write it as remembering it happening. We don't have to experience it. And I'm like, Oh, but that was so cool. I he's know, like, yep, so but it doesn't help. I know, and I wrote the scene that I wrote that I almost published and did not. Uh, you publish Fella once a week, twice a week, whatever you want to do, and I almost did. But I mean, it was funny, but it did absolutely, like I said, did nothing to advance the plot. It's like, but hold on to it for later. You never oh. know. We're tweaking that. Yeah, and I, I it fit it, into something later. Part of it will show up either later in this one or in the next one. There's one little thing that happens with a character, Zelda's on roller skates, and I have to um, talk about her being on roller skates again. So that does happen in this one at, toward the very end of it. So, but, you know, and, and then in this one, the coroner is chatting and I'm like, oh man. So she's, so because I don't want to go into too many details of what's legal for her to say, I'm just going to have her give the gist without really giving the gist and make my character kind of guess what the stuff is because I don't want to get into where that would not happen. That would not yep. happen, you know, and in, in, in the cozies, the, the reason I liked that so much where she doesn't know what's going on is it's really goofy, crazy stuff. And I had, I had a reader who kept writing to me. He finally unfollowed me, thank God. But he kept writing me to tell me that I was a horrible person because I was encouraging people to do things that were going to make them get hurt. And I'm like, um, it's a cozy mystery, and anybody who would do anything that June was doing is an idiot. Hmm. So in the front of my books now, I say, don't do the things you read in this book. Don't be stupid. Yep. 
It's like, okay, I'll add that. So I, I mean, I added that to the front, but it's like, okay, who, who would even do these things? But now you're talking about something that's really important and that's going to be reviews. Um, reviews. Yep. Uh, so I will tell you that my first bad review um, is somebody that I actually found out I have social connections to and I could, and I've been, I've been fighting because it was literally a dissertation. I was oh, like, who's going to read this? I'm like, this is like three pages of rant of every little thing. And I'm like, and of course I write serials. I've gotten novels that I haven't published that I, I may turn into serials. I might go the self-publishing route in the future when things start to calm down a little bit in my life because things are really hectic right now. But when it comes down to it, basically what the review said is, I don't read serial fiction. I didn't read the whole thing. You just, they, they claimed I didn't do world, world building at all. So obviously they didn't read. And then at the end, they say, I read X number of episodes and then I skipped ahead. And I'm like, you missed the world building because you've got to remember that serial fiction is not a novel so it's not going to be built the same um so the same thing i'm going to tell you is the same thing i've i've told everybody else take every review good and bad with a grain of salt no matter how bad they are or how great they are all they do is help promote your work um now i will tell you that if somebody says that you're that your plot bounces around like a rubber ball on meth and you take a screenshot of that part where it says the plot bounces around like a rubber ball on meth that initially TikTok somebody will report it and claim that you're like telling people to go do drugs or something oh, and encouraging drug, drug use and then you have to reply to TikTok and be like um what <laughs> so even if you post something making fun of making fun of your bad reviews you know don't be afraid of them like i was devastated that review came up like the worst possible day ever and i was literally i had been had been in tears most of the day for things going on with my in my personal life that i can't fix and that's the hardest thing and i get this horrific review i'm like what just happened and i i was devastated and it took me like four or five days to get to the point where i'm like it's just a review it's okay yeah, and, and you know sometimes those one star reviews where they talk about, you know, oh, the, all this, all the, all that happened in the book is they had their clothes off all the time. Someone's going to read that and go, ooh, that's what I like. Mm -hmm. So even the bad, so yeah, authors out there, if you do get bad reviews, um, don't worry about it because whatever they're complaining about, somebody else loves. Yep. Like I got, I got hit on really hard for the. Uh, for a medication that I used to take and like literally the side effects the character had were the side effects I had. So tingling, numbness, not able to focus, you know, that kind of thing. Cause it was a side effect. And they were like, I was on this medication for years and it never did any of this. Well, one, the character taking it is a supernatural entity. So they're one, they're probably not going to have the same physiological response Two, that was my understanding of how it affected my own personal body. So sorry. Um, and three, who cares? Yeah, and authors never <laughs> reply to, to to reviews. Never, right? never, 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 never. Don't say thank you. Post, I got a review. Thank you. You know, but don't don't take the time to address the review. You don't want to get into a war with somebody. Um, and and the worst part about this is this is somebody who actually had targeted me over something different. So this is somebody that legitimately has a beef, and I'm oh, like, yeah. you know what? It's over yeah it's done best, best thing is just to ignore on. <laughs> i'm like dear amazon i've already proven that i have a social connection to this person why don't you take this down oh, <laughs> but that's yeah. where i am because amazon if you have a social connection to an author as a reader so if you are following them on social media and you comment on their on their stuff regularly or you interact with that author and amazon sees that you have a connection with that author they will one take down the review to prevent you from ever reviewing again so and it's stupid because readers want to chat with authors mm -hmm. and that yeah that 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 burns me they, they shouldn't do that and, and we're their bread and butter amazon is here because of authors it started as a book service bezos has yep. anybody see his name he bezos. needs to remember that yep bezos jeffrey bezos. bezos there's a song bezos yeah. bezos there's a song about jeffrey bezos <laughs> oh i know i saw it it was really good <laughs> so you know i want to be able to communicate with authors um and i had somebody ask recently do i think that they're going to move to a point where you can comment or review on each episode on, um, on vela on vela and i'm like 
that would be fantastic because that way your readers that love you can really be like, I love you. Um, but when it comes down to their review process, I don't think we're going to see something like that just because of how much work goes into getting a review posted on Amazon's side. Um, so this isn't like Wattpad where you have inline, the ability to inline comment. We're never going to see that. That's That's too much. Um, yeah, I think so too. And they added polls. So I was kind of excited about the polls um, because I have a, I have one that I want that I'm working on in the back of my head that I've got lots of notes on that I want to be kind of like a choose, choose an adventure. And it would be like a, it would be a monthly release after the first three episodes. That way we can have the readers choose what happens. And then I, you know, um, yeah. and I think that's awesome. And it's a great idea. It's just, I, don't know if implementing it at this point was the best thing <laughs> yeah you know I, i'm hoping to get yeah i'm gonna try this i got my pop screen up here now oh yeah so that's sounding much better <laughs> i really should <laughs> use my my screen all the time uh it sounds like they should be going uh, out to canada soon because i i have friends who can find their mm -hmm. velas listed on canada amazon so you're going to notice if it's not just Canada, it's Canada, UK, Australia, and New Zealand, I think. So it looks like they are following the previous launch plans that they did when they were doing trying to launch the fan fiction service mm -hmm. and when they did Unlimited. So Kindle Unlimited, it was a poop show, just like Vela was at the very beginning. And then they went to the next region, and I'm no, I don't remember if Mexico was part of that. I really don't. I wish I did, but I know it was Canada, UK, Australia, and I don't recall for def def definitively if it was New Zealand or not. But they, they when they start to release out, we're, we're already seeing signs this happen, so we're searchable at least in other locations. So will they see it? I honestly think they'll make an announcement and it'll probably be close to the one year. Um, and that's just if they're following the way that they launched previously. And their launch plan worked for Vela, um, so far, it's been up and down, and there's authors that hate it. There's authors that love it. There's readers that love it, and readers that absolutely hate it because they want a book all at once. They don't want to pay by the episode or by the chapter, and I totally get it. And to those people, I always tell them, that's not how serial fiction works. Yeah. Yeah. U.S. readers do not understand serial fiction. And I try to tell people, it's like a TV show. If your favorite TV show never ended... Each episode of Vela is what you see in those 10 minutes before the next commercial. And that's Vela. Mm -hmm. That's it. And, you know, you watch a TV show and you're okay waiting till the next week. Well, yeah. now that we have Netflix and things, people aren't don't want to wait till the next week. And I, I'm yeah. just as bad because uh, somebody was recommending something or other to me and I said, is it done yet? And they said, almost. I said, well, I'll wait till it's done and then I'll binge the whole thing over a weekend. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm, God, I'm, I'm one of the bad people. Right? I'm exactly the same way. But my problem is, is I get sucked into so many. I'm following like 170 different fellas. Um, and I will tell everybody that knows I read them. Yes, I had to take a break from reading. I take really a break from everything but editing because of the family stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm really looking forward to the release out into Southeast Asia. Um, oh, the God, US. Yes, they know what Vela yeah, is. And Australia. So when it comes down to in the UK, US, Canada, Australia, UK, as a whole, we're mostly book readers, we're novel readers, we're somewhat comic readers, which are technically serialized. But when it comes to getting into like New Zealand and Southeast Asia, um, and far Eastern Europe, yes, Eastern Europe, closer to the Soviet, what was the Soviet bloc? These are regions where everything is serial, and they rarely read books so once we're opening up in these regions where books aren't popular but serials are and comics are we're going to see a boon of new readers because they're already talking about it like if you look at the kdp community at least twice a week you'll have somebody from another country when is it coming to my country i want to read and i'm like eh. yeah yeah but it's, yeah, it's it, gonna it, happen TikTok too because I, I talk about it a lot on tiktok it's one of my um uh pinned tiktoks videos uh, is, is describing Vela and um, yeah I had a lady from Australia say no she wouldn't read it because she couldn't post on it I said oh yeah sorry you know it's it's only so-and-so but since we're talking about Vela um, I'm gonna mention um, what I'm reading currently I mean I'm reading a lot of them too mm -hmm. um, 
Currently, one of my favorite is Galaxy Waffles by, Nic- uh, by Nikolai, Nikolai Wiseckel. I'm going to say it wrong. I'm Weiskel. sorry. How do you say his name? I think it's Wiseckel because I, I worked with his wife, apparently. After I oh. interviewed him, I found out that I, I worked at one of the one of the major corporations I worked for with his wife. I so that love, was Yeah, I love Galaxy Waffles. I, yeah. I keep, I'm going to get him on the, the podcast to talk with him. He because... is a hoot. You'll love talking to him. Right. So great. Yeah, I, I need to get in touch with him. So if you're listening, um, Nikolai, <laughs> call me. <laughs> <laughs> and if he doesn't, because he hasn't, I'll be like, you need to watch this and then you need to call her. <laughs> um, let's see. What do I? Oh my gosh. I'm just looking at my phone because I haven't opened the Kindle app in so long. I literally can scroll through like hundreds of there's new episode messages, which is great. If you can't, I don't know if it'll show you. Ah, oh, come on. Oh, I can't see it. Wait, wait, wait. Kind of. Yeah, kind yeah. Of, oh, it'll tell of, you what's scheduled. It'll tell you what's posted. Oh, um, so I get, okay. so I get, so I get notices in the pop-up messages from the Kindle app. Someday it will work on my Kindle white. Oh, I have a oh and my Kindle, yeah, I have a Kindle uh, also, whatever the newest Kindle was. Um, Probably Christmas. an Oasis. Yep, I got it for Christmas. And I'm like, I want it to work on my Kindle soon, yes. TM. Um, I want it to read to me, but I don't have a Lexus and I'm not going to buy. I'm not going to do that. I, I just don't, I wouldn't use it ever. Okay, other ones that I'm reading right now while you're looking that up. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked about this one in the past, Revenge Honeymoon by K.J. Gillenwater. Sorry, girl, I know you. I, I know her. Um, but it is so good. It's funny. Uh, bride is left at the altar. Her maid of honor convinces her to go on a on the cru- the honeymoon cruise together. And chaos ensues. And it's funny. And the, the roommate, Emily, it's really more about Emily. And she falls in love with a guy named Max, who's a photographer. And Max is interested, but he's he keeps screwing everything <laughs> up. So it is so funny. I highly, highly, highly recommend that. And then um, what's the other one? Oh, okay, yeah. So um, there's a new Fox Argyle mystery starting. Oh, I'm but so excited. I have not read it yet. I'm still reading the other one. So do you know what it's called? Uh, no, because I'm still reading the other one too. Yeah, I'm behind. A new I'm one. really behind. I'm sorry. I know, and I, I went to my daughter's wedding, and so that was two weeks of um driving cross country and then being there for a while with no internet. So I wrote nothing and I read nothing. It was terrible. Well, it was only terrible that I couldn't read and write. Seeing family was great. The wedding was fantastic. My daughter made the mistake of saying, "Wear whatever you want." So my husband and I went out to Tombstone, and we got. Western clothes, and we dressed in the 1880s. Outfits. That's fun. Formal West, formal 1880s outfits, and it was we had a blast. And of course, no one was dressed like us. Everybody looked at us like we were crazy, but it was it was great. We loved it. And um, so anyway, those are those are three. Right, there's tons of great villas, tons of villas that are great. Um, okay. I write a cozy paranormal cozy called Four Bullets and a Ghost. It is coming out as a the first. Half is done. It's coming out as a book on April 23rd. I'll have a link in the show notes. Then the next book will be finished by about the one-year anniversary. I think July 15th was when it started. Yep. Last year. Yeah. So um, I've been on since the beginning. And uh, then I have a fantasy called Amy of Earth. She falls through a portal. There's all these crazy creatures. A wine-guzzling thicket is in love with her. It's so much fun to write. Um, I need to write an episode today, in fact, after I get off here. I need to write one. Um, but it comes out twice a week, usually, sometimes once a week. Oh, so I know I know you have some, too. Uh-huh. Um, my three big ones, well, four. Um, I have a handful of ones that I'm always, like, actually reading when they pop up. One is currently Mia's Journey, and that's by Diane Bylington. By- Hold on. Let me pull her name up, make sure I'm doing right. Byington. Uh I am a sucker for astronaut stories. I was the kid that grew up that wanted to be an astronaut until I saw the shuttle explode in, in primary school and freaked out. Um, and Briar Dark just finished its second season. That one is by S.A. Harian. It is House of Leaves meets The Woods. So if you've ever read The House of Leaves, which is stunning, luckily they've never tried to publish it digitally, and if and you would you wouldn't know why unless you flip through it. Go to a bookstore, flip through House of Leaves um, by Daniel by Mark C. Danieluski, and you'll understand why it can never be a digital publication. You'll you'll fall in love just by flipping through it. Um, and then some of my other ones that I'm always following, I'm always following uh, the Last Sunrise, and that's Martin Shannon. 
and he's phenomenal. It's a vampire, it's vampire, vampire series. I love vampires. I love werewolves. I'm a sucker for them. And you probably would notice that since I write one. <laughs> um, and I just like, I have so many. Chu is in its third season. And I know that Naomi All is just about ready to publish the first season as a book. Yeah. She's going to be selling signed copies and i'm so excited i know that my my editor who we, we who's zombie freak and we, we refer to him as zombie dave is so excited because he's got a, he's got a copy coming and he's like i can't wait to read it again and this time it'll be in my hands i'm like technically your phone is in your hands but we won't go there yeah <laughs> but i love this i'm seeing authors that are getting that are actually releasing their completed seasons out wide and it's phenomenal that we're able to see this kind of growth within the community um so i have a handful of bellas that i write um the devil and his wolf there's about 17 episodes of it and then life happened um there are 79 episodes of the explorers if you like randonautica or you've ever seen a randonautica video where people go out with an app to a map an app with a map to the middle of nowhere and bad things happen check it out uh there should be a new episode coming up for that by the end of the month and i'm promising that everything's going to get a new episode by the end of the month um just because life is finally catching up and things are slowing down a little bit after the the crazy and then we have white moon paranormal mysteries where i got the horrific review which makes me giggle every time now that i see it um especially since some of my readers saw it and then gave me five-star reviews after they saw the one-star review pop up. Thank you guys. I love you. Nice. Um, and that is a werewolf story of a different kind. Uh, and the reason I say that is it's not your traditional werewolf romance because right now it's, oh no, my mate denied me and I found my mate and then we fell into bed and then we had a life. <laughs> guys, you can only tell that story so many times. I get it. I do. <laughs> but literally... 85% of the werewolf out there, that's what you're going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but there is another story coming soon um, that my editor and I are actually been plotting. So that's probably not going to happen until later this summer. And I can't wait to tell you that it might have something to do with giant robots. Ooh, giant robots. Oh, I like that. I like that too. I'm like, I grew up with Voltron and oh, Power yes. Rangers and my kids watch that all that yeah saber yeah. rider and the star sheriffs and all that good stuff yeah. so and and macross plus so robotech so there's something cool coming i can't tell you more but i'm excited um but yeah that's that's just that's just life right now is it's literally a edit 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 and once things slow down a little bit more i'll be back into the writing i don't know if i'll be getting to the point where i'm pushing three or four episodes a week again because i did that for months um Hey, authors, it's okay to take a break. Your readers may get upset with you, but if you miss a week or you have to take some time to step away and take care of you, don't completely burn everything out. I know that I, I went crazy. And in the month of January, I posted something like 46 episodes between three Vela's. Wow. Um, wow. And I made, and I, and I maintained that pace through most of till mid February before I got the news about my mom and had to take a break. I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to focus on this. It's more important. So yeah. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be times where you can boss the walls, go for it, do it when you feel like you can, but don't burn yourself out. Um, don't write for the sake of write, write, writing, write because you love to write because yes. somebody out there will yes. love to read it and you won't yes. know if they love to read it unless you write it. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, if you are a writer, which I hope you are, uh, and you know, you're a writer, whether you have published or not, if you're writing, you're a writer. Don't use yeah. the word aspiring. I hate that word. Drive me crazy. It drives me. I hate that word. You are not aspiring. You are oh. a writer. Well, okay. I will, uh, an aspiring traditional published, traditional publication. Yeah, but you and I'm like, so, and I'm like, don't do it. Do it yourself. You make more money. Oh God. Yes, you do. I used to be a literary <laughs> agent. I can guarantee you, you will make more money unless you're well-known. They're not going to put any advertising behind you. They're nope. going to have so many books go out. Once those books are um, get sent back, they're not going to give you a second chance. They're not going to do audiobooks for your books. They're not going to do um, uh, translations. They're not going to do uh, anything. And if you are thinking you need to sign with a publisher, everything is separate. Ebook, hardcover, softcover, translations, movie, 
TV, radio, whatever, future things. I see people sign everything. Everything away. Everything away, including any future things that, that are come up with in yep. the future. Yep. And then they're trapped. Oh my God. And and, and it's and it's the one time advance because most authors never make more than their advance. Yep. Most publishing companies will never do more than one printing unless you're one of those one of those random outliers that hit something big and then you lose your rights to audio and to everything else i almost signed away all of my my media rights to white moon paranormal mysteries for 15 years those contracts are only for like one to two years they wanted 15 years and i only got and the the printing was going to be was only going to be ten thousand copies no guaranteed second printing and i'm like y'all really just want to sell this to somebody else and cut me out of it it's so inexpensive right now so the best part about audio is there are multiple ways you can pay a narrator you can pay them a lump sum you can pay them a lump sum plus any push a portion of your earnings or you can pay them a percentage of your earnings off of the audiobook from now until the end of time so if you're somebody's like i just can't afford to get an audiobook done acx is phenomenal and the best part is is they encourage authors and narrators to review each other and they don't take them down which is funny because doesn't amazon own acx now i'm so confused (laughs) and then something i'm going to tell everybody um never be afraid to not sign a contract and to turn them down if you get an offer if you get a bad offer you don't have to take it um it gives you an idea that they're interested in what you're doing the one thing to keep in mind is because of how big self-publishing is getting the offers are getting smaller um just be aware of that uh and if you're and if you want to find out that there are authors who have prolific libraries behind them look at mallory cooper they have over 100 books out there look at um oh shoot my brain is melting right now because it's just that kind of day but i mean there are authors out there who have prolific and have 50 plus books out there and they're doing it on their own with an, with an editor that's helping them out. So don't be afraid to step out and try to do it on your own. Worst comes to worst. The one thing that you need to remember is that the, if you, if you're approached by publishing houses, say you have something that's a hit and somebody actually approaches you, it's, it's been known to happen. It happens occasionally. Just remember, they don't want to purchase something that you're already selling. They'll want something new. So keep that in, under your hat as a thought. Um, but just, don't be afraid to self-publish. I remember when Piers Anthony published the mod series and the fourth book, Duon Mode, was self-published digitally. And it was before Kindle and Nook and all of that stuff. And it was literally you paid to download a, a, a text file at that point in time. People made fun of him. And this is the guy that wrote Xanth. How many Xanth novels are there now? I couldn't even begin to tell you. And he's definitely a prolific writer and he's still writing. And I'm going to tell you, he's one of the first people that did it. And if he can do it, and he can do that in the 90s before we have the distribution channels that we have now available to us as authors, we can do it now. Um, The one thing I will also tell you is if you're going to self-publish, you can't just put it up and expect the world to find you. You've got to be willing to do the work. Like I can tell you exactly when I stopped posting regularly to social media because my reads went into the tank. So you've got to be willing to get out there, engage in those communities, find other authors that are writing your comps, interact with them, interact with their readers, find out what they're hungry for. And, and if it's something that you're interested in, don't be afraid to put it out there and then start putting yourself out there. Tags are important. Don't just put up a post on Facebook or on Instagram, tag it, tag everything you can think of, you know, get yourself out there. Do yourself a service of promoting yourself. I have an author friend who I adore. Marty, I love you. Please, you got to advertise. You write so many amazing things, but people aren't just going to find you. They've got to be led to you. And that's where that self-advertising comes from. You've got to be willing to self-promote and make it easy for people to find you. Yeah, exactly. And and when she says comp, she means books that are like yours. So you, yeah. if you write Cozy Mystery, you go and you look at those top 100 cozies and your cover better look like those cozies or mm-hmm. people will not buy it because it won't be what they're looking for. They see something and they know what, what they like and that's yep. what they like. Uh, they, for thrillers, I want the guy... Uh, set the the outline of the of the guy or the woman standing in front of a cityscape with a gun, and I know mm. what it's going to be about. Yep. 
market yourself. You'll you'll be much happier for it. Yes, 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 yes. You need to be your biggest fan because nobody else cares. Yep. So yeah, yeah, most definitely. Well, thank you so much, Kitty Julik, for coming on today. And I will have links to probably everything we talked about in the show notes. Uh, yep. If you're looking for a Vela that we mentioned, all you got to do is go to uh, the Amazon desktop and type in um, whatever the Vela title was we said, or go to Vela on your phone. And I know it's not going to work. Oh, it is because I have um, I have my green screen on. So you can go there and at the top there's a search bar and you can type in. And they'll have tags also where they yep. have like the mysteries and, and I think they even have a cozy one now and, and a bunch of different things. And you just type that in and just start scrolling and there's like 15,000 There's stories. more than that. There's, there's gotta be more, more than, than that. that. Yeah, there's more. There's, there's so many amazing stories. So, oh, there's so many good stories out there. Yeah. And, and you and, can read while you're in the in the drive through line while you're waiting for the next car in front of you to move. You can read while you're waiting for your groceries to come out for curbside pickup or while you're waiting for your kids at school. It's just one of those things where it's only a handful of minutes. So it's a bite, bite sized, ready to go. Yeah. I, every day when I'm making my tea, it takes two and a half minutes to make my tea. And I read usually Genesis Machine uh, by KJ Gillenwater. Oh, my God. Uh, UFOs, time travel, you need to read it and okay. uh, or whatever else I'm reading in my in my list and um, yeah and the, then I do that during the morning and then when I'm making my lunch and I'm waiting for I have a toaster oven so I'm waiting for my bread to cook in the toaster oven I will read quick read uh, another one and and that's why for my fantasy they're between 600 and a thousand words usually uh, and then for the the um, for the cozy paranormal it's usually around 1800 words just because yep. People like about that length for that. They want a little bit longer, a little yep. meatier. Um, but but yeah, it's 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 fun. So definitely the Vela's, and I will have Kitty's uh, contact information in the show notes. So if you're looking for an editor, please give her give her a. I'm pointing the right way. If you're on my, she's to my left. So right down. I'm the right down. Yeah. So so you can you can uh, yeah. So you can uh, check her out and. And that's it. Thank you so much for coming on yep. today. I've been dying to talk about editing for forever. <laughs> no problem. Have a great day, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Kitty. This is something that is so important, the editing of your book. You really need to have all these things done before you send to your editor. And, you know, just make a much better book. Please, please, please edit your books. Don't just write them and throw them up there. Even going through uh, things like Grammarly and and whatever other sites do that kind of thing, you really want another pair of eyes on that book to have the best book out there. A lot of times, in, a reader will read your book, and if it is not of a certain quality, they may never read another thing by you ever again, and that's not good. You don't want that to happen. So listen to her advice. Give her a call. Well, email her. I'll have all the links in the show notes. And if you have any uh, suggestions for future shows, you can find me uh, down there in the show notes. My email is mel at melissabonzak.com, spelled just like it sounds. So that's it for this time. I have another great show for you next week. And in the meantime, go read a good book or write one. Mm -hmm.